Um, rhythm's a word that I'm trying to kind of get into my system and get used to. Trying to develop a new rhythm for, for my week uh, with all the kind of changes that, that are happening, a new rhythm for the month and the year in, indeed. So just kind of looking at, at this point in time at the church year and what it all includes, um, how many times they need to stand here and speak. Uh, do you know that it's very nerve-wracking standing here and speaking? It is. It's, it's very nerve-wracking. So you can tell how nervous I am by how quickly the water goes down. Okay, <laughs> just just so that you know. So, hmm. Yes. Um, it's good to do all the things that God calls us to do, and it's been great this week to have Stephen Turnbull give us a wee wave, Stephen. Stephen Turnbull has. Uh, volunteered his time to help in the chaplaincy team and uh, Stephen delivered a session for the staff along at Burnhouse on Tuesday for their in-service day uh, and so it was great to have Stephen coming along and helping us out in chaplaincy and uh, just at the end of this month I'll be in Whitburn Academy to, to chat with fifth years on the subjects of evolution, gender and sexuality. Whoa! <laughs> okay. So, uh, keep praying. <laughs> it's quite a mix, isn't it? Um, and also, another uh, little piece of information to throw in. Um, I met with a chap called Don Essence. The young people know who Don Essence is. He works with Compassion. And we had a coffee a couple of months ago. And I had kind of went with the intention of inviting Don along to come and talk about Compassion and to talk about supporting uh, children and young people uh, through education and, and all the sort of things uh, that Compassion do. Uh, and unbeknown to me, he came actually to invite me on a trip to go and see the work of Compassion, um, which I was kind of a bit reluctant uh, to start with, but I have kind of said, okay, I'll, I'll come along. So uh, beginning of February, I'll be out in Ethiopia for a few days, uh, finding out about the work of Compassion firsthand. And uh, yeah, just pray for that. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of travelling, especially international travel, so uh, Chuck knows well because he's wound me up on many an occasion getting into a plane. Um, so please pray for that as well. Um, I really, over the next number of weeks, want to begin to share uh, what is on my heart and what I feel is, is, is on God's heart for, for the church. Um, and as we discuss things as leaders, uh, which we will do, then really want to kind of bring what I feel God is saying and, and uh, highlight and underline what God has already been saying. And there's, there's three words which I'll just flick up on the screen um, in just a little second. Uh, that's the title for today. We'll come to that in a second. Um, but these, these three words, uh, I think, are key words and uh, in, in kind of the things which God has been saying into the life of the church Things like establishing, and we'll talk more about this in due course, uh, a word which came through Gary Davidson, this word, elevate, you know, raising the bar, raising the standard, if you like, uh, and, and, and going to, to new levels in God. And then lastly, this word, enlarge or expansion, which is it's come through on a number of occasions from different speakers. And uh, I really want to kind of expand on these things over the next few weeks and think about how this works out in the life of the church. Do you know, if God speaks to us, if God speaks to you, we really need to listen to what God is saying. 
And we need to reflect on those things. And we need to pray into those things. And we need to say, okay, I hear what you're saying, God. What's the next step? How do we put this into practice in our church? And so really I want to, to, to spend a bit of time thinking about these things as we enter into 2016. And I think as I share, there'll be things which resonate with different people in different ways. And what I would say is if, if something that, that is shared really resonates with you, then, then come and have a chat. Okay, come and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and say, okay, what you were saying there, there's something about that that I kind of get and think maybe I, I need to be involved in that. Because my heart and my desire is that all of us are involved in the thing that God wants to do here. It doesn't matter how young you are. I think the oldest person in the room just now is maybe Josh. And it doesn't matter how old you are, and I'm not going to pick out the oldest person in the room. But it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. God has something for all of us to get involved in. Um, But before I start to talk on this, I just kind of felt really, as I was thinking and praying about what I should share this week, drawn to this passage uh, in Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through to 9, and you'll be very familiar with that passage once we read it. And I really wanted to just draw out some foundations from that passage. However, I found that as I was preparing for today, I only really got to the first of those foundations, there were six things which I, I kind of saw in the passage that might be what we could call foundational things for the life of a church, for a healthy church. And those six things that I saw were unity, love, joy, which is a theme throughout the book of Philippians, prayer, thankfulness, which is connected with prayer, and also this last part of the passage talks about the things that we should focus on. Uh, focusing on whatever is true and noble and all these things. And for me, it was about celebrating the wins. It was about celebrating the good things that God is doing amongst us. And these were some of the foundations. But let's read the passage, and then we'll kind of look at the the foundations. So it starts off in verse 2 by saying, I plead plead with Euodia, that's a hard word to say, I plead with Euodia, I can say it in my head easy, it's just when you say it out loud. And I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 
Amen. Now I said that there was a number of things which I saw in this passage and as you begin to really study the Bible and as you study the scriptures you realise just how rich a text it actually is, how much there is in it. But really, as I was preparing, I didn't really get very far into it, into all these other things beyond unity, the subject of unity. And I think if we want to see God move in our church, if we want to see God move in any church, then there needs to be unity. And I speak as much to myself as to anybody else in here. It's very tempted to come into places of disunity. It's a lot easier to be disunited than it is to be united. And so I want to really focus on that today, and I don't think we'll get much further than that. You'll be glad to hear he's not going to go through all those six points, okay? You will get home in time for your lunch. And to to rephrase this thing that Paul is saying, he's he's pleading with two uh, women to be of one mind to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, why is he making this appeal to women to be in agreement? Because men never fall out. And men never have disagreements. Okay? So that's why I'm only kidding, okay? I'm only kidding, okay? We, we can all fall out over different things. But Paul, I think in a, a gentle way, as we read into this text, is trying to encourage these two women to, to come together and to be of one mind. And one commentator, he, he kind of words it like this, Yodia, I'm begging you, please. And Syntyche, I'm begging you, please, to be of the same mind in the Lord. One of the things, one of the, one of the themes throughout the book of Philippians, as I've said, is this thing, joy. It's full of expressions of how we should be joyful. But nothing robs us of joy like discord and disharmony and disunity. I don't know if you feel that, but I certainly feel that. And clearly these two ladies were prominent figures in the church there in Philippi. And we're not told what the dispute's about. We don't really need to know. But the end of the day, the jungle drums have been beating and Paul, who's in prison when he's writing this, has heard that there's problems in the church. And therefore, Paul, in his letter, writes to them and he's begging them to be of one mind. It's a lot easier to fall out sometimes than it is to fall in. And the thing, in my view, that leads most often to fallouts is pride. And as I think about a subject like this, okay, if you feel that I'm going like that, okay, just remember there's another three pointing back at me, okay? And the Holy Spirit invites us to search our own hearts. The Holy Spirit invites me to search my heart as I share these things. In fact, I was just thinking as I was preparing for today, uh, it would be nice actually to have somebody come up and, and talk about their stories in relation to this, rather than me having to bear my soul all the time. So if anybody feels that they want to come up and share their stories, uh, I'm, I'm quite happy for that. But pride can swell up within us and pride can lead to fallouts. 
The thing that leads to fall ends is humility. And humility is a lot less easy to get to grips with. Because as human beings, we kind of, something stirs up inside of us and say, I'm not going to go and say sorry, because it wasn't my fault. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there. Here we go again. I'm having to bear my soul. If you want to nod and, you know, then that's, that's good. But what we really need to remember, because we're talking, Paul is addressing a church here. And I am addressing a group of people, which we call Whitburn Pentecostal Church. We're part of the church, the universal church. And as church, we need to remind ourselves that we're in a spiritual battle. The enemy, the devil, wants to see the church wounded, fractured, and ineffective. And he will use whatever means he can to do it. And it tells us that he even comes as an angel of light. It can appear that what we're doing is the right thing. But it might not be. So I was really thinking about this subject of unity, this subject of, of what causes disharmony between us. And I started looking into this further. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he ends with this, or, or this is part of his the ending phrase of uh, of, of what he's saying. And I just realised I didn't put all my cues on my, my paper, so just forget that. Just switch that off because I'm not going to be able to use it because I forgot to put all my cues on my notes. Man, I always forget something. <sighs> See if I don't write it down. <laughs> ah. 2 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 11 says this, Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Be of one mind and live in peace. And the appeal for unity, peace and harmony is an age-old message. This message, these words are around 2,000 years old. It's an age-old message because it's an age-old problem. And we see in the church, the early church, that there was disunity and disharmony at times. And I think that's because people are people. We sometimes think maybe differently, or we think that we, th we think we think differently from people who lived 2,000 years ago because we have the type of uh, technology and the modern stuff that we have. But actually, people are people just the same. And Paul encourages these people to be of one mind. And to be of one mind, I, I think, is, is about having this corporate understanding of who we are, of our identity as, as a church and as Christians, who we are, but agreeing together on who we are as a church and what God is calling us to do as a church. It's about understanding, uh, this corporate understanding of our purpose. Why are we here as a church? Are we just here to come on a Sunday and to have a good time and to enjoy each other's company? Or is there a greater purpose behind what God wants to do with us as a group of people? I believe there is. And it's that corporate working together to that end that is this being of one mind. 
If you want to think about being of one mind, maybe you can think about a group of people who come together to do an operation. And some people have been in that position recently and about to be in that position. You want those people, nurses, surgeons, anaesthetists, can't say that one either, you want those people to be of one mind, okay? They are focused on one thing, and that's the patient, and that patient's well-being. You want them to be of one mind. You want them to be united around that one moment in time where they're working on the patient, if that patient is you especially. They know what they're about. They each have different strengths, gifts, abilities, different things which they bring to that situation. Different people, but they're united around a common purpose, and that is the well-being of that person. We need to remember that we are united around a common purpose, and really, it's very simple. Jesus summed it up at the end of Matthew in, verse, in chapter 28 when he says, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's our purpose. Every church has the same purpose. Like a team of surgeons and nurses and doctors and anaesthetists and people who run trolleys around the place and all these things, all these things that need to happen, we are focused on the patient. And the patient is the person who doesn't know Jesus yet. That's what our purpose is. And if our purpose goes off into anything else other than that, then we're maybe just inventing it and making it up. We, think of, we can think of other teams. We can think of SAS, four-man patrols. These things intrigued me as a younger person. A four-man patrol, a group of guys who are highly trained, highly educated. They might look really rough on the outside, but these guys can speak five languages, and uh, they're so highly trained that you just look at them and you think, wow. And they come together as a small group, and they're able to achieve so much as a small group. Different people, different gifts, different skills from different backgrounds, but they're united around a common purpose. Think of Team Scotland back in the, the Commonwealth Games. It seems like an age ago, but it was only 2014. And yay, Team Scotland. A group of people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different walks of life, different disciplines in sport, but coming together as a team to win medals for their country, united around a common purpose, and that is to win. We are united around a common purpose, and that is to win, to run the race that God has called us to individually, but to run it together, and not to win at somebody else's expense. There are similar things that Paul says to the church in Rome and to Philippi. I'm just going to read these verses out. Romans chapter 12, verse 16 says, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Then he says earlier in the book of Philippians, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. 
having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is encouraging us to be of one mind. And he said it to the church in Rome. He said it to the church in Philippi. And we read this to the church in Corinth as well. He keeps giving the same message to all these churches in different areas. And the reason he needs to do that is because there's disunity and there's discord. Paul encourages us to live in peace. And I think Paul is speaking from his own experience. Remember that he's writing the book of Philippians when he's in jail, which is towards the end of Paul's ministry. And I think maybe Paul is looking back and reflecting on things which have happened, perhaps. Paul had to bring correction when there was false teaching in the church. And sometimes there's a need for what might appear to be disharmony and discord if there is false teaching in the church. Acts is full of stories where there were things that needed fixed. And let me just read one of them. It's in Acts 15, verse 2. Um, And some people had been saying to the church at that time, the fledgling church, the newly birthed church, that that the guys needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, in order to be Christians. Boy, am I glad these guys stuck up for for that, okay? Um, But it says that this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Now, it might appear like disunity. It might appear like discord. But we needed to make sure at this point in time that what was being taught in the church was the right thing. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The sharp debate was necessary. So let's not misunderstand that sometimes there's a need for debate, there's a need for discussion. And sometimes those debates can be quite sharp and pointed, and sometimes they need to be. Even Paul and Barnabas fell into disagreement It was time for them to go back and visit the churches which they'd been to. If you've ever read about Paul's missionary journeys through the book of Acts. And Paul and Barnabas had agreed that they'd go back round and visit the churches and encourage the people. However, on this occasion, Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, Mark, and Paul disagreed with him. I don't think it would be wise to take him, he says to Barnabas. And they have a disagreement. And Acts chapter 15, 39 says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And it tells us that Paul and Silas then went out and did another of these missionary journeys. I don't know if this disagreement was necessarily warranted or right. And I don't know if this disagreement was around doctrine or more about personalities. I think if you look at the teaching in the Bible, if you look at the words, if you look at the characters that are involved, Paul was quite a, he was a go get him kind of guy. He was like, we, we, you know, fire on, press on ahead. Whereas 
Mark, uh, sorry, Barnabas was, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that Barnabas was an encourager. And maybe the way that he viewed his cousin Mark was different from the way that Paul viewed his cousin Mark. We're not told why Paul thought it wouldn't be wise, but at that point in time, there was a disagreement and they decided to part company. I don't know if that was a good thing, if I'm being honest, if I read scripture. Because Paul is the one who's now saying, be of one mind and live in peace. I think perhaps in there, there was different temperaments, different leadership styles. And we need to recognize that each of us have different temperaments. We're different people, and we see the same thing in different ways. And we need to make allowances for each other. But it's interesting to note that later on in the story, we see that Mark is alongside Paul in another setting. If we read Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Paul is writing to the church there, and he says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He was there beside Paul. So whatever had happened in the past, they were now together. We don't really see that they've fallen out, um, but they're now together. Paul was very zealous for the Gentiles. He was very zealous for people to come to faith who weren't Jews. And anything that came against that, he reacted quite strongly to that. And it says in the book of Galatians uh, about his um, disagreement with Peter. And again, it's, a, it's, it's to do with this whole thing about the, the Jews and the Gentiles and the Jewish believers trying to sort of enforce Judaism onto the new Christians. And then Paul writes these words, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. <laughs> Paul says it as it is, quite direct. He was clearly in the wrong. Okay? And he opposed him to his face. It's the best way to do it. He says, Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This guy who they'd done life together with, even Barnabas was led astray. Paul is quite direct in his opposition to this because he recognizes that what's been imposed, what's happening, isn't right. These new believers who uh, are Gentiles, who know nothing about Judaism, they shouldn't be forced to be a Jew in order to be a Christian because Paul's message was that we are saved through faith, by grace, through faith. And so Paul is very strong in his opposition of what he sees going on. Sometimes there's a need to be direct. Sometimes there's a need to say things as they are in church life. And if I'm being honest, I've been in churches for 48 years now, and we're not always very good at it. And nobody likes confrontation. I don't like confrontation. I can't stand confrontation. But sometimes there are things which need to be said in order to preserve what God is, is really saying and God is really wanting to do. 
Sometimes it's just about personalities and differences of opinion. And we need to make allowances for each other. Almost finished. Um, Just to go back into Philippians uh, once again, because it is a theme that runs throughout the book. And Paul, in chapter 1, verse 27, says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit. The King James uses this expression, stand fast. And it implies that there's an enemy that we're standing against. But stand fast as one man. If we are standing fast against an enemy, it clearly indicates that there's a struggle. And if we are Christians, if we love Jesus, if we are serious about what God has called us to do, if we're serious about our purpose, which is to reach lost people for Jesus, if we're serious about that, then there will be opposition. The devil will come against us. And let me just read uh, what I read in a commentary. I thought I'd just write this down and trans- without me having to translate it. He talks about striving And it's the translation of a Greek word used of an athletic contest. In the NIV it says, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Contending. And there's a a little hint in the word contending. And he says this word is the word where we get the word athlete and athletics from. Coming back to our Team Scotland analogy. The total meaning of the word... uh, refers to an athletic contest in which a group of athletes cooperate as a team against another team, working in perfect coordination against a common opposition. Paul is exhorting the members of the Philippian church to work together in perfect coordination, just like a team of Greek athletes, which is something that the people who read this for the first time would be very familiar with in their context. Working together against a common opposition. If we want to see God do the things that we want God to do, and we want to be part of that, we need to be together. There needs to be unity. It's foundational to anything that God wants to do. If we want an example of the power of unity, we go back into Genesis, into verse uh, chapter 11, and it says as they're building, the people get together and they want to make a name for themselves. And they begin to build this tower called the Tower of Babel. And their idea is that they'd build this tower and it would reach up into the skies and they'd be able to be these wonderful, wonderful people. It's very interesting to note that the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa, is in this part of the world. It's the one that's featured in Mission Impossible 4, the one where Tom Cruise nearly falls off of just to give you context. But these people, there's something in the people that wants to build the tallest and be the greatest and be the biggest and be the best. And God looks at it and he says, wait a minute, we're not having any of this. And it says here, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing. 
people who are united around one common purpose. These people, their motivation was wrong. But their approach was right. There was unity around a common purpose. They wanted to build a tower to make a name for themselves, to talk about their own strength and their skills and ingenuity, to talk about their abilities, their great achievements. What's at the back of all that? Look at me. Look at this big tower that we've built. Pride swelling up. We are the people. We're great. And God opposes it because God always opposes pride. But he comes alongside the humble. Our motivation, our motivation around this common purpose of going and making disciples of all nations, our motivation must surely be his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's to that end that we work as a church. It's to that end that we get ourselves involved. It's to that end that we engage with our different skills, different abilities, different backgrounds. And really, we need to be pulling together around a common purpose. How we do that, we might disagree on how we do that. That's okay. We can have a discussion about that. But my prayer, my prayer is that we really begin to see new people coming to know Jesus. That God's kingdom is established in our lives. That God's kingdom is established in our families, in our neighborhoods, in your street, in my street, in our villages and in our towns and in our cities, in our schools, in our places of work, the place where you spend all that time every day, that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done in that place. Why? So that we can make a name for ourselves. If that's our motivation, then God will come and put an end to it. It's about his kingdom. What is it says at the end of that prayer that we pray? For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our time on this planet is so short. We have a limited number of opportunities to make a difference. My prayer is that we take hold of those opportunities that God gives us and that we make the most of every day for the time is short. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, as we come almost to the end of another Sunday service, Lord, we recognize, Father, we recognize how great you are. And Father, we sing that song so often, and we really, really do mean it, how great thou art. We really do mean it, Father. Sometimes we forget and we get caught up in ourselves and our own importance. Father, we ask that you forgive us for that. Father, we pray that your people here regardless of uh, where we've come from, what our background is, where we're at in our journey with you. Father, we pray that we'd be a people who are inclined towards each other. We are a people who are of one mind and of one spirit. A people who are united around one purpose 
and a people who live at peace. Father, we pray that you would do a new thing amongst us. Father, we pray that this house would be filled with your glory. Father, we pray that you would help us to be a people who are full of joy. Father, a people who are full of prayer and of praise and of thanksgiving. Father, a people who are united around a common purpose. Father, a people who are willing to give testimony to the great things that you're doing in our lives. And so, Father, I pray your blessing over this congregation, Father, over the other congregations in this town and beyond. Father, we pray that your hand would be upon us. Father, that you would build your kingdom, that you would establish your church. Father, we thank you that it's Jesus who is building the church. And Father, we thank you that you involve us in that work. Lord, we come and we celebrate how great you are today. And Father, as we take up our offering and sing our closing song, Father, we pray that even in doing that, it would be an act of worship that expresses how great you are. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. And Lord, we remember those who can't be with us today, that your hand would be upon them and that they would know your presence in such a special way. So Father, we pray that your hand would remain upon us this week as we go out into a week that contains we don't know what, but Father, you know. You know the, the, the path that lies ahead of us this week. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to trust in you. Father, for those of us who pray for loved ones and our families who don't know you yet, Lord, we pray that we'd be able to celebrate with the church here the, the, the gift of new life, new birth. Father, people coming to know you. Father, the prodigals returning. Father, those who have known what it is to be part of your family and part of your church, who have walked away from you. Father, we pray that we'll be able to celebrate over lives that are restored and coming back into fellowship with you. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. And Lord, we continue to look to you. Father, you are the author and establisher and beginner. That You begin and you finish all things, including our faith. Father, we pray. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.